The first reading this morning is Psalm 23, which you'll find on page 555 of the Church Bibles. I'm reading this in memory of my Uncle Tony, who was killed in 1942, and I'm reading it from his Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, starting at verse 13, on page 1188. 1188. Chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that our past is forgiven. And as we stand before this beautiful field of poppies, we have the freedom to worship you and to read your word. Open our hearts and minds now, Lord, we pray to hear what you would say to us today. Amen. And before uh, every service, we pray um, that the Lord will meet with us. And this morning when we prayed, I did really feel 
But there may well be somebody here this morning who needs to know that your past is forgiven. So if that's you, take that word to heart. Take the opportunity while I'm speaking to contemplate the poppies behind me, which are just beautiful. And I'm going to invite us all to look back, to look forward, and to look to God. But if that's you, know your past is forgiven, and feel free to talk to him and to look at the poppies and to reflect. So, Remembrance Day. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason, and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder, treason, should ever be forgot. You might have um, recited that little poem as a child. It was written to remind us um, of the reason behind Bonfire Night, of course, which 409 years ago was not the quaint folk tradition it is today, but rather a matter of national security. Um, poor old Guy Fawkes was just one of a group of Catholic conspirators, but he carried the can for a horrible plan to assassinate our king, James I, if you're English, James VI, if you're Scottish. And the plan was to blow up him and the Houses of Parliament with this dreadful scheme. We're talking about a terrorist plot, and he was executed for his part in it in 1605. We choose, as a nation, to remember. In fact, to this very day, I believe, yeomen still search the cellars of the House of Parliament before the state opening, just to make sure that it won't happen again. The first lines of another poem, written by John McRae, inspire another kind of remembering that we do today, Remembrance Day. In Flanders' field, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amidst the guns below. The ephemeral beauty of the poppy offers a striking metaphor for human life. Its wiry, stringy stalk is resilient, and yet the beautiful paper-like petals are so fragile, so easily destroyed. The boldness of its vibrant color shouts out, here I am, look at me, and yet it's so easily crushed. They spring up by the hundred in the most unlikely, inhospitable places, cheering any landscape. We admire its spirit of determination, but often it's no match for the forces that come against it. Already, four, uh, more than four million people have visited the Tower of London to gaze on the poppies there and to reflect, as we reflect this morning on our own poppy field. Major John McRae wrote that poem after conducting the funeral of a young soldier at the Battle of Ypres in 1915. He was expressing the desperate hopelessness he felt in the face of such waste of human life. You probably know that 
888,246 lives were lost from Commonwealth soldiers alone in World War I. The Great War, the war to end all wars, as it's sometimes called. Of course, it wasn't, was it? If only it had been the war that ended all wars. Of course, it's a hundred years since the outbreak of that horrible conflict, and although the experience of the First World War was horrific on a scale previously unimagined, it was not the end of war itself. Afghanistan, Iraq, Africa, Europe, Ireland, the Middle East, the list is seemingly endless. Robert Burns bewailed man's inhumanity to man that makes countless thousands mourn. And how true that is. Today we remember the sacrifice of those not only who gave their lives, but also those who suffered mental torture and physical disability in the service of their country. Some remember in pain, possibly with bitterness and anger, those that they have lost. Others remember to acknowledge the horror of war, to pay tribute to those who've sacrificed their lives, and to express gratitude for the freedom we have as a result. For it has been asked, what is the point of remembering if we don't learn from what we remember? Scientists tell us that memory is a chemical matter which actually changes the connections between our brain's neurons. Each experience primes the brain to prepare for the next experience. And so our memories, recalling our previous experience, shape our lives, shape our response to the future. We see it in our children as they grow and learn and adapt, as they experience life. The Bible records the history of God's people and calls us to look back. Look back with thanks for what the Lord has done for us. The history of the people of Israel could be said to be mixed at best. Yet one of their greatest leaders, King David, exhorts us, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, Tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. Are you inclined to look back with thanks and to remember what God has done for you? Do you choose to have a thankful heart, to tell of his wonderful acts. As a church, you know, we have much to be thankful for. As individuals, we have much to tell others of God's goodness in our lives. Yes, we have personal sorrows, tragedies even, which taint our lives and cause us pain. And we are not asked to forget. In war or in our personal circumstances, we don't simply forget something that has damaged us. 
We acknowledge the hurt and the evil that has touched us. But the Christian calling is to learn to remember differently. We're called, like our Saviour, to take forgiveness seriously, to not let the hurt and evil poison us anymore, and to be set free through the hope we have in Christ. God's call is for us to remember with hope in the light of his love for us. It is the extent of this love that we remember with thankful hearts around the communion table, with simple, ordinary things like bread and wine, we remember extraordinary love, which led to the extraordinary sacrifice on the cross of Jesus, God's Son. As we walk with Jesus, we look back with thankfulness, as the Old Testament exhorts us to do, thanking God for all he's done for us. But more importantly, we look forward in hope. Our psalm this morning, very movingly read for us there, Psalm 23, reminds us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear. There are seasons in life that feel dark, overshadowed by circumstances outside of our control that we don't understand and that we really don't like. A person without faith, without relationship with Jesus, might well feel despair. Without the assurance that Jesus offers, the challenges of life are often met at best with grim resignation. At worst, bleak despair. Paul writes in warm affection to the Thessalonian Christian church. Brothers and sisters, he calls them, like family. He wants them to be encouraged, not downhearted. You see, the story in Acts, as we read it in the Bible, tells us that Paul visited Thessalonica and he was there for only three weeks. But that his teaching made such an impact on the people there that the Jewish community were enraged and Paul had to be smuggled away in order to save his life. Perhaps he felt he'd had to leave too soon before he'd had time to teach them as much as he would have liked. The truth of the gospel had impacted people's lives and Paul writes here to these brand new Christians to encourage them to look forward with hope. The reason for the Christian to have real hope lies in Christ's death and resurrection. It is this hope, this confident expectation that one day Jesus will come again in triumph and make all things new. It is this hope that inspires our church, God's people. It is the hope that the gospel offers that is the solution to the problems of the church and the world. It seems that the people of Thessalonica in those early days expected the second coming to be imminent, to be happening almost any day. They were so excited at the idea of the Lord's return 
that they were worried for those who'd already died. They didn't want them to miss out on the glory of heaven. Paul writes here to reassure them that those who die before the second coming will certainly not miss out on that wonderful day. He gently explains the principle that anyone who has lived and died as a friend of Jesus is still a friend of Jesus in death and will rise with him because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. As he wrote elsewhere to the Roman church, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an encouragement for a dark or challenging time. Bereavement is a very difficult and poignant part of human experience. However firm your Christian faith might be, the loss of a loved one is in a way to lose part of yourself. It can take a very long time to adjust to. It is sometimes a real struggle to bring together our faith and our emotions and it makes us face questions that are difficult and that we choose not to think about the rest of the time. Paul wants the new church in Thessalonica to have a faith based on accurate information. Mourning the loss of life is natural and it's very necessary. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. But when a Christian dies, through our personal sorrow at our own loss, we can nonetheless celebrate Christ's victory in eternity. We were so saddened at the death of Margaret Tews recently, but at her service of remembrance, there was also a tangible sense of thankfulness for a godly life well lived. In fact, for the Christian to die is not the worst thing ever, for they go on to a better place. Margaret is now with her Lord and Saviour for whom she lived, and we can rejoice in that. The poetic language of sleep that Paul uses to describe death is common to many cultures across the world. Both states are very still, and we do take rest after a hard work day. But in Paul's mind, sleep, like death, is only temporary, followed by an awakening, a resurrection to new life in Christ. C.S. Lewis said that death can be thought of a bit like the end of term, followed on by the next stage, something new and wonderful. As the school holidays follow on the end of term, so heaven falls, the end of our, falls on after the end of our life on earth. In God's gracious, loving care of us, he allows that the end can also be the beginning. So Paul calls on his readers to actively encourage one another with these thoughts. And I encourage you to do the same. On this Remembrance Day, a whole century on from the outbreak of the First World War, look back 
with gratitude for all that God has done for you. Share with one another the blessings he showers on you, both big and small. Remember all that he has done for you in the gracious gift of Jesus, his only son. And look forward in the sure and certain hope that that alone can give. Whatever the circumstances of your life today, look to God for strength and hope. For he is the author of life and love, and he holds nothing back in his commitment to you. In him we can surely trust. Amen. Thank you.